You are either on the path of sin or you're on the path of righteousness. And if you will look carefully at your life, you can tell which path you're on. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom is continuing his series titled, Whose Slave Are You? Throughout this series in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, we're looking at the claim of the Apostle Paul regarding every person's relationship to sin. You're either serving sin or you're serving God. You're either on the path of sin or you're on the path of righteousness. But how do you tell which path you're on? Well, if your life is marked by increasing obedience to the commands of Christ and His Word, then you're on the path of righteousness. On the other hand, if your life is marked by increasing obedience to the demands of sin, then you are on the path of sin. And as you'll learn today, discovering which of those two roads you're on will reveal your soul's ultimate destination. Friend, open your Bible now as we join Tom Pennington on The Word Unleashed. I came across a quote from that great spiritual guru, Deepak Chopra. Uh, I hope you understand I say that tongue-in-cheek. This is what he writes. There is no holy life. There is no war between good and evil. There is no sin and no redemption. None of these things matter to the real you, but they all matter hugely to the false you, the one who believes in the separate self. You have tried to take your separate self with all its loneliness and anxiety and pride to the door of enlightenment, but it will never go through because it is a ghost. Now, if you didn't understand that, don't worry. You see, man in his false wisdom loves to make spiritual issues terribly complicated. God, on the other hand, in His Word, delights to make them very simple. Scripture tells us that there are only two ways, two paths, two roads, and every human being who has ever existed, every human being alive today, every person in this room is on one of those two roads. One of the roads ends in God's presence with the joys of eternal heaven, and the other ends in hell, a place of eternal shame, regret, and punishment banned forever from God's presence. This is the teaching of Scripture. Again and again, these two roads, these two paths are set before us. You remember Psalm 1, at the very beginning of the Psalms, lays out the two ways. There is the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, and they end in terribly different places. Our Lord Himself, you remember in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, describes two gates by which you enter two different roads by which you eventually arrive at two totally different destinations. In Romans chapter 6, Paul is really dealing with those two ways, those two roads, those two paths. 
But he does so here in the imagery he's already built as two kinds of slavery. You are either a slave of sin or a slave of God. We're studying the second half of Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15 and running down through the end of the chapter. And, and Paul's point in this paragraph is simply this. True believers are no longer slaves of sin, but are instead slaves of God. Here's how he develops his argument. He begins in verses 15 and 16 with a flawed conclusion about the believer's relationship to sin. You'll notice in verse 15, Paul asks, is it okay for a believer to live in sin because he's no longer under law but under grace? And Paul's response to the very idea is to be repulsed by it. He says, may it never be. In fact, it's impossible. And the reason it's impossible is in verse 16. He lays down a general spiritual principle that you become a slave by obeying a master. And that's either of sin or of God, of sin or of righteousness. And you can only be the slave of one master at a time. As Christians, we are no longer slaves to sin. Why? Well, in verses 17 and 18, he explains it's because of the radical change that's happened to us, the radical change in our relationship to sin. Before our salvation, we were slaves of sin, verse 17. But a change happened at salvation, a radical change. We were transformed. We were regenerated by God. And therefore, verse 18, we are now made slaves of righteousness. This radical change has occurred. In light of that radical change, Paul moves on to the practical ramifications of the believer's relationship to sin. We looked at this the last time we studied Romans together. Paul says, in light of what has happened to you, here's how I want you to live. I want you to pursue righteousness following and expecting the same gradual process you saw with sin in your life. You remember, we talked about this. Before Christ, day after day after day, we obeyed what sin told us to do. We were in a situation, and sin whispered in our ear and said, you know, you should just lie. It'll, this whole situation will go easier if you just lied. You know what? It's okay for you to lust. You're not hurting anyone. Do this. Do that. Sin comes and gives us commands, and we obeyed. And what happened? Verse 19, it resulted in further lawlessness, more sin. We obeyed, we obeyed again, we obeyed again, and sin and its power grew in our lives. Paul says, now the opposite is true. Now put your members at the disposal of righteousness as its slave in the same way. And what will happen? Verse 19, it results in sanctification. You see, Paul's point is that the same gradual process that occurred with sin before Christ is the same gradual process required to grow in holiness or sanctification. And in fact, you grow using the same means as you did to grow in sin. You see, slavery to sin was about a pattern of obedience to sin's commands each day. Slavery to righteousness is about a pattern of obedience to God's Word through the help of the Spirit day after day. And as you and I obey and obey again and we obey again what the Scripture tells us to do, 
it becomes increasingly a pattern and a habit in our lives just as sin did before Christ. This is what we're to do. Now today we come to the final section of this great chapter, the eternal consequences of our relationship to sin. In verses 20 to 23, here Paul tells us why all of this matters. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is making the same point here that he's made throughout this section, and that is you are either serving sin or you are serving God. You are either on the path of sin or you're on the path of righteousness. And if you will look carefully at your life, you can tell which path you're on. How do you tell? Well, if your life is marked by increasing obedience to the commands of Christ and His Word, growing sanctification, then you are on the path of righteousness. If, on the other hand, your life is marked by increasing obedience to the demands of sin, increasing patterns of sin, then you are on the path of sin. And discovering which of those two roads you are on will tell you your ultimate destination. Now, here in Romans 6, Paul compares these two ways or these two roads, but he does so as two kinds of slavery. He begins with the slavery that leads to death in verses 20 and 21. Notice what he writes, the slavery that leads to death. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Paul points back to before we were Christians, before we believed in Christ, to teach us about this slavery that leads to death. And he begins by telling us it is slavery to sin. Notice verse 20. He begins verse 24. That's an important word. That word connects verses 20 to 23, tells us that verses 20 to 23 are Paul's argument as to why you should obey the command of verse 19, why you should be pursuing righteousness. Here's why. For, because, simply stated, when we fail to pursue righteousness, we show that we're on the other road. Christian, don't ever forget that verse 20 describes you before Christ and it describes every unbeliever you know. Now look at verse 20. When you were slaves of sin. Before you came to Christ, you were a slave of sin. What does that mean? Well, go back to verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience to God resulting in righteousness? Here's what Paul's saying. 
We were slaves to sin before Christ in the sense that we regularly obeyed what sin told us to do. It was expressed in sinful thinking, in sinful attitudes, in sinful words, and in sinful acts. The slavery that leads to death is slavery to sin. But that's not all. Look at verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were also free in regard to righteousness. Now that is a fascinating statement. If you go back to the early chapters of Romans, you discover that unbelievers know much of what God requires of them. Go back to chapter 1, verse 32. Speaking of pagans, idolaters, pagans, Paul says they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice these sins that are listed here are worthy of death, and yet they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. How do they know the ordinance of God? Well, remember Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. They know because the God, the Creator, has written the substance of His law on every human heart. There has never been a single human being of mental capacity who hasn't understood much of what God requires of him or of her, no matter if they had the Scripture or not. They knew. But here's the problem. They were free and are free in regard to righteousness. What that means is, even though they know what God wants, even if they try to do it, they simply can't. They can give it their greatest effort, and they can't do it. Chapter 3, verse 13, there is none who does good, not even one. To use Paul's language, they are under sin. They are dead in sin. They are slaves to sin. Turn over to chapter 8. Paul can't put it any more clearly than he does in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He's describing believers and unbelievers, and first of all, he says, of unbelievers, the mindset on the flesh, that's all unbelievers, that mindset is death. And then believers, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Now notice in verse 7 how he describes unbelievers. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. And then watch this. For it is not even able to do so. Unbelievers cannot acceptably obey God. In fact, verse 8 goes on to say, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So before Christ then, understand that we were not only slaves of sin, but we were free in regard to righteousness. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You know you're not a Christian. You came in knowing that. You're here with family or friends, invited by someone. This is just what you do. Whatever brought you here this morning, you know you're not a Christian. Perhaps you're tempted to think that you are free, that you're free to do whatever you want. Well, let me give you God's perspective on your situation. God says you're not free at all. You're a slave. You're a slave to your sin. And the only thing that, the only freedom you enjoy is freedom from righteousness. Freedom from being like your Creator who made you. That's the only freedom you have. Secondly, Paul says this slavery that leads to death brings absolutely no benefit. Notice verse 21. Therefore, 
What benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? Now let me teach you a little Greek here. Punctuation was not a part of the earliest Greek manuscripts that we've received. And occasionally that can present a problem for understanding the New Testament. This is one of those unusual cases where there are actually two possibilities. Let me share them with you. Possibility number one, look at verse 21. This could be the question. Therefore, what fruit were you having then? End of the question. Answer, the things of which you are now ashamed. In other words, with this punctuation, verse 21 means that the only benefit of your slavery to sin was the things or the sins of which you are now ashamed. The only fruit, the only benefit of that slavery before Christ was one thing, sin and more sin. That may be what Paul means here. But almost all English translations take the same approach that our New American Standard does. Look at verse 21 and see the question Paul asks in this punctuation. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? I think this is more likely the question Paul intended to ask. So what's his answer? What benefit? Well, there is no answer. Why? Because there was absolutely no benefit to our spiritual lives, our sinful lives before Christ. There's no answer because this is a rhetorical question. There was no benefit of the things, the sins of which we are now ashamed. If you're currently living in a life of sin, let me ask you what benefit that's bringing to you. Oh, perhaps there's a temporary pleasure. Scripture talks about that. The pleasures of sin for a time doesn't last. It's short, it's brief, but yeah, there's pleasure. But really, if you're living in a life of sin, let me ask you, what benefit are you deriving from that? Does it truly satisfy your soul? I can promise you that it does not because you were created for more. Does it provide lasting benefit to your soul? Does it do good to you? Do you grow as a person? Do you love the people around you better? Are you more connected? Do you understand and care for people more because of that life of sin? Again, no. Does it help you prepare for death and eternity? And you know the answer to that. When your conscience wakes you up in the middle of the night and that faint echo of the coming judgment of God is in your soul, you know that's not true. What benefit? Paul says there's none. A life of sin gives no fruit that matters. Nothing that satisfies. And thirdly, it ends in eternal death. Look at verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. The Greek word translated outcome is literally the end. It's the Greek word telos, the end. The final destination of the road marked by a life of sin is death. And here, he's not just talking about physical death, although that's included. We know that because he contrasts this death with eternal life. 
Look at chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's talking about way more than physical death. He's talking about physical death, yes, but he's talking about spiritual death, dead to God, no relationship to God, but he's also looking into the future and describing eternal death, the second death, as John the Apostle calls it. What is this? What is eternal death? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 20. John the Apostle describes it for us. Revelation 20, verse 11, he is allowed to see the coming judgment, the great white throne of judgment before which every unbeliever will stand. Every person who has not believed in Jesus Christ will stand before Christ himself. Verse 12 says, and everybody will be there, the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. The books were opened. These are books that are records of the lives of people And the book of life was opened as well. And they were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. You will be evaluated with perfect justice. If you don't believe in Christ, you will get perfect justice. But every single thought, word, and act you have ever committed against God and His law will be recorded and recited back. And everybody will be there, every unbeliever, verse 13... No exceptions, judged by their deeds. Then, verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 8 of chapter 21, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... By the way, that's not a comprehensive list. That's a representative list. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Eternal death. Here's how Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. He said, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. However long life lasts for the righteous is how long punishment lasts for the wicked. That's what Jesus says. That's where a life of slavery to sin will take you. That's where it ends. Paul's point is that a life of sin, a life of slavery to sin, ends in only one destination, eternal death. So there is... One of the two paths, one of the two roads, one of the two kinds of slavery, slavery to sin. And Paul warns us, Paul warns us here what the road looks like and what the destination finally is. I had just come as pastor of Countryside. I was still learning at that point Texas roads, which do require some adjustment. And near my home, there is this strange intersection, it's still there, where the roads don't properly align. And in the middle of the night, with no other traffic to be seen and and barely awake, it's easy to get confused. And so the light turned green, I started across the intersection, and I went straight across the intersection, which should have been my lane. Turns out it was the opposite lane. And a minute later, I realized that I was driving on the wrong side of a divided highway. 
How did I discover my mistake? Well, the road signs were all facing the wrong direction. It's like those crazy Texans. Why would they do that? I was on the wrong road. That's what Paul is saying here. If you are living in an increasing pattern of sin, you're on the wrong road. You never got on the right road. You've never been changed by God. And the road that you are on is taking you straight to the lake of fire. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, Whose Slave Are You? Tom will have part eight for you on our next program, and we do hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.